Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Friday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So grateful that you are joining us today. Well, it's Friday, one of my favorite days of the week. Sunday is my favorite day of the week. Friday is probably my second favorite day of the week because it is one day closer to Sunday, and Friday is here, but Sunday's coming. So please come and worship Sunday at Hickory Ridge Community Church at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Or if you have your own church, please be faithful in attending worship. Now, listen, when you go to church, on Sunday. You are an encouragement to your pastor. You are an encouragement to the membership of that church. And uh, you listen, your pastor spends a long time putting a message together. The worship team spends a lot of time getting ready to lead you in worship. The children's ministry team members are very busy putting lessons together for your wonderful children and your grandchildren to learn about Christ. Uh, all those who have to clean the church building, uh, spend time cleaning the church building and people outside cut the grass and get everything ready for you to come and worship. So by all means, go to worship on Sunday. I promise you, you're going to receive a blessing every time I go to church. Can I share you a little secret? I wake up early on Sunday morning and uh, and I get my right leg out of the bed and it gets in an argument with my left leg. My left leg says my right leg. Where are you going? Get back in here. And, uh, and Sunday is, for some reason, one of the most difficult days for me to get out of the bed. And uh, I think that's just that old enemy telling us uh, that we are we got to cater to the flesh. And uh, no, you got to conquer the flesh. So get up, go to church. I promise you, you'll feel better and uh, you'll be a blessing to everybody and you'll receive a blessing. Well, I want to talk to you today on the Friday broadcast about suffering, lessons from suffering. For the last couple of days, we've been talking about suffering. But I want to kind of put a key text in 1 Peter chapter 4 and kind of expound on some things that I think will really help you to keep this matter of suffering in perspective, okay? Now, one of the most despicable manifestations of human flesh ever to disgrace this planet was Nero Claudius Caesar. He was born in AD 37. Nero was educated at the feet of the philosopher Seneca, whom eventually forced him to commit suicide. That's how crazy uh, Nero was. I mean, Nero murdered his way to the imperial throne, which he occupied from AD 54 to 68. His life was characterized by debauchery, violence, I mean, he even caused his own mother to be killed, and extreme extravagance. In the summer of AD 64, Rome suffered a terrible fire that burned for six days and seven nights, consuming almost three quarters of the city. Now, the people accused that evil emperor Nero for this devastation. They claimed that he set the fire for his own amusement. Well, in order to deflect these accusations and to kind of placate the people, Nero laid blame for the fire on the Christians. The emperor ordered the arrest of a few members of that sect of Christianity, tortured them, accused others until the entire Christian populace was implicated and became fair game for retribution. As many of the religious sect that could be found were rounded up and put to death in the most horrific manner all for the amusement of the citizens of Rome. The ghastly way in which the victims were put to death aroused sympathy among many Romans, although most felt their execution was justified. Now, this is the beginning of the church. We're talking about A.D. 30 to A.D. 60. The church is just getting started. Church historian Andrew Miller gives us the following graphic account of the fiery trial that was raging when Peter wrote his epistle, 1 Peter. This was the first legal persecution of the Christians. 
And in some ways, it features Stan alone and all of the annals of human barbarity. Invented cruelty sought out new ways to torture and satiate the bloodthirsty Nero, the most cruel emperor that ever reigned. The gentle, peaceful, unoffending followers of the Lord were sewn in half, and then were put into skins of wild beasts and then sewn back together. They were torn apart by dogs. Others were wrapped in a kind of dress and smeared with a wax and a pitch, and then they were doused down in flames. With a stake under the chin to keep them upright, they were set on fire when the day closed. As you think about it, this is how they would light the public gardens of the popular amusement areas. Nero used his own gardens for these exhibitions. He gave entertainments for his people. He took an active part in the games himself, sometimes mingling with the crowd on foot, other times viewing this awful spectacle from his chariot. But as accustomed as these people were to the public executions and to the gladiator shows, they were moved to pity by the unexampled cruelties inflicted upon the Christians. They began to see that they suffered, not for the public good, but to gratify the cruelty of one man. But fearful as their death was, it was soon over, and to them, no doubt, the happiest moment of their existence. Long, long before the lights were quenched in Nero's garden, the martyrs have found their home and rest above, the blooming garden of God's eternal delights. It is in this backdrop that Peter writes to the believers in that first century church, and this is what he says to them. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Don't look at it as something strange that is happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. I want you to know that God always uses His most hope and gives it in the most hurtful times. We tend to think of suffering as something that is strange when it occurs. We cannot help but think something is wrong when we suffer. And sometimes that is true. Pain often draws our attention to something that needs to be fixed. But it's not always true. We are told not to rejoice because of the suffering. We are to rejoice in the midst of the suffering, while we are suffering. We don't see things perfectly clear in suffering. Matter of fact, Paul says that we see through a glass dimly or darkly. But one day we'll be face to face with the Savior. Now we just know in parts. But one day we will know even as we are known. But until then, we are to live in joy as we suffer. Joy through suffering provides us with great opportunities. I want to give you just six opportunities that suffering will allow us and joy will allow us if we'll let it. First of all, when we go through times of suffering, we experience God's presence. 1 Peter 4.14 says, If you are insulted because of the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed. For the sake of the glory and God rest on you. Isn't that amazing? When we go through times of, of suffering, when we're suffering for righteousness sake, God actually rests upon us. Paul put it this way to the Corinthian believers, and he says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Paul reminds them, 
We are sharing in the suffering together with Christ. We're identifying ourselves with Christ because we're suffering like Christ. But we also receive that comfort that comes from Christ. Then Paul goes on by saying that when we are distressed, God allows us to be distressed so that he can comfort us. He can comfort us with his salvation. You know, there are times when you feel the presence of Christ in your, in your life in a very special way. And those special times, I believe, are the times when we're suffering the most. Don't reject God speaking to you through other Christians when you go through times of suffering. One of the greatest things about being involved in the church is that you have believers who may be a few steps ahead of you on this journey called life. Kind of reminds me of one day my family was traveling to Florida. My kids were old enough to drive, and of course, they didn't want to drive with mom and dad, so they drove separately. We went ahead of my children because they had to work late, and I remember I called them, and I gave them some instructions, and I told them, listen, now, as you're driving through Emporia before you get on Interstate 95, you better slow down as you get to the outskirts of Emporia, and the reason you better slow down is because there's a, a, a radar set up, there's a spot there where if you're going too fast, you're going to get pulled over. And then I told them, I said, once you get through Emporia, just before you get on Interstate 95, there's a place on the side that has really good food. I think you ought to stop there. By then on this trip, you might be kind of hungry. And right next to this particular restaurant is a place you can buy some gas. And, and I saw that that was the cheapest place to find gas that I had taken on that journey. Now, as I was giving these instructions to my children, I wasn't saying to my children, you are stupid. I'm smarter than you. I wasn't judging them. I was sharing information that I had not because I had a higher IQ than my kids. It's because I had been down the road further than them. Because I had been down further the road than they had, I could share some things. I could give them some blessings. I could share some things to, uh, about them of cautionary advice. Slow down so you don't get caught speeding. Well, really, you should just slow down so you don't speed. I could share with them where they could find gas at a good price and where they could find food that was delicious. It wasn't I was saying they were better than them. I was just sharing some wisdom because I was further down the road. You know, that's what it is with the church. When we go through times of suffering, there's believers in our congregation that can say, you know what? I went through a similar experience. And I'm not saying that I'm better than you. I'm not judging you because you're going through this difficult time. It's just that I've gone down this road and maybe the comfort that I received is a comfort that you can receive. You know, that's the blessing of being involved in a small group. That's the blessing of being involved in, in things like the Gospel Project. We are learning more about Christ. That is the blessing of being involved in the church. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 5. He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you revile and, and when you are persecuted and, and they say all kind of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. No, no, don't miss that phrase right there. When you're going through these times of persecution, when people say things against you that are not true, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? Because great is my reward in heaven. For so they also persecuted the prophets who went on before you. Paul also weighed in his matter of, of going through difficult times. And he says, at my first offense, nobody stood with me, but all forsook me. But the Lord stood with me. Paul was on trial for his life, and everybody deserted him. You know, sometimes you may feel like that way in your life. You feel like nobody is standing with you, but God is with you. He's never going to leave you, never forsake you. 
Paul says that God was in the midst of my suffering and I felt God's presence so close to him. You know, sometimes God wants us to go through suffering with others. Sometimes he wants us to go through suffering by ourselves. Sometimes he allows us to go through suffering by ourselves so that we can feel God's presence so very close to us. You see, when we go through times of suffering, sometimes it's so that we can experience God's presence. But secondly, God will sometimes allow us to go through suffering so that we can tap into God's plan. Going back to verse number 15, Peter says, If you suffer, you should not be as one who suffers as a murderer or as a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Now, Peter gives us four things here that we may be suffering for, things that really Christians should not be doing. And when we do them, we will suffer. So Peter says, don't suffer as a murderer. Don't suffer as a thief. That is one who steals by fraud. Don't suffer as a criminal. Uh, Some translations would say as an evildoer, one who is involved in criminal activity. I mean, you may not have been caught, but you're an evildoer, and you may suffer as an evildoer. So Christians should not suffer as, as murderers, as thieves, as criminals. Christians should not suffer because they are meddlers or a busybody in the affairs of others. So as we look at this, we see that if we're suffering for these areas, being a murderer, a thief, a criminal, a meddler, then we are deserving that suffering. Yes, that word meddler is an excellent and interesting word. You know, a busybody in the affairs of others. It means being an overseer of the things that are really the concern of somebody else. In other words, Christians should not be suffering as meddlers because Christians should not meddle. We shouldn't be getting outside of our lane and looking into the affairs of other people's life. Peter says there's no merit in suffering when you deserve it. We say that phrase, Do the crime, do the time. So so don't miss this part. God's plan involves righteous suffering, not unrighteous suffering. When we suffer, we must make certain that we are suffering, not for the evil that we have done. As you think about this whole concept, God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19 says. Now, there's a couple of takeaways from Philippians 4.19. God will, not I will. Okay, God will provide all of the needs that I have. Suffering that is out of control is never out of God's care. So so if you're feeling today like the victim, like, I can't believe this is happening to me. This is out of my control. There's nothing I, I can do about it. I want you to know that you're not out of God's care. I can't meet all of your needs. I can't meet all of my family needs. I can't even meet all of my own needs, but God can. God will meet all of your needs, not my greeds, everything you need, he supplies according to his riches, not my resources, according to his riches, the riches of Christ in Christ, these needs will be met, not outside of Christ, but in Christ. So I want you to know today, if you're going through times of of suffering, God wants you to be on his plan. God wants you to be on his agenda. We learn throughout Scripture that there's going to be suffering that's going to come our way. We must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. Moses went through a difficult time. But when he went through a difficult time, 
He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So we've learned so far today that when we go through difficult times, God wants to reveal his presence to us. God wants to reveal his plan to us. And number three, the third purpose of suffering is that we identify with the pain that Christ endured for us. This is how Peter put it. He says, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Jesus put it this way, in your time of grief, you're going to face a time of grace. And I, I will see you again and I will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Wait a minute. If I'm grieving, I've lost joy. No, that's not true. You can grieve with joy. As we think about grieving, we don't grieve without hope. We have the blessed hope of Christ. Now, I best connect with others when I can share in their joy and in their pain. I best connect with Jesus when I can share in his pain and his joy. This is the development of our maturity in Christ. Experience being rejected because of righteousness' sake. Setting out from Hamburg, Germany one day to give a concert in London, violinist Fritz Kressler had an hour or so before his boat was to sail. He wandered around and he found a music shop where the proprietor asked if he could take a look at the violin that Chrysler had and that he was carrying. This proprietor then vanished and returned with two policemen later on, one of whom told the violinist, You are under arrest. What for? Chrysler asked. You have a Fritz Kressler violin. Well, I am Fritz Kressler, he said. You can't pull that on us. Come along to the fire station. Going to the fire station caused him to miss his boat. There was no time for prolonged explanations. Kressler asked for the violin and played a piece that he was well known for. Now are you satisfied, he asked. They were. You see, what plays out of you during your times of suffering reveals if you are suffering for Christ or for yourself. When you truly are suffering for Christ, you respond like Christ. There is no mistake about who you're identifying with. The pain reveals the sincerity of your faith. If Jesus is in you, when you are squeezed, Jesus comes out. When we talked about God's presence is revealed in our times of suffering, God's plan is revealed in our times of suffering, we identify with his pain as we're going through times of suffering, but we also grow toward perfection during times of suffering. Peter put it this way in verse 17. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. You know, followers of Christ are sometimes disciplined to become more like Christ. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, that's why so many among you are weak or sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judge ourselves, we will not come under the judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So Paul makes it abundantly clear here that, that sometimes we will be weak, we'll be sick, and some will even fall asleep, that is, die 
because they are not following through with God's plan of perfection for their lives. In Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When we think about suffering, perhaps suffering is a wake-up call for us to get on the right track. And, I, and I'm careful in making this statement because some people think anytime I'm suffering, it's God's judgment upon me. That's not the case. But it's also wrong to say that anytime I'm suffering, it may not be because God's judging me. Sometimes God judges us and he allows things to happen in our lives to awaken us, to get our attention. When my kids were growing up, I used to always tell them, I pray that you get caught if you're doing something that you're not not to do. And they say, well, dad, that's awful mean. I said, well, I'd rather you get to all this, this nonsense out of your life while you're young and uh, do something crazy while you're young and get caught so that you can make adjustments to your life. I remember one day I was having a family gathering over my house and my phone rang and I recognized the number of that phone that came up, uh, that number that came up. And uh, it was a friend of mine who was a, who was in the, uh, the police force. And he said to me, he says, well, I've got your son here. Uh, and uh, do you want me to, to book him for this speeding ticket? Uh, he was going, uh, he was going 50 and a 35. And, and so, uh, so I said, what do you want? He says, what do you want me to do? And I said, well, go ahead and write him a ticket, right? Write him a ticket. I said, I want him to learn the lesson not to speed, right? I want him to learn that his, there's consequences of, of speeding, right? And so he had to learn the hard way. You know, we should glorify in tribulations because it works patience within us. It teaches us to be dependent upon Christ. Well, I've got to move on. There's number five, okay? We've got God's presence that we have when we go through times of suffering. We get on God's plan when we go through times of suffering. Uh, we experience the pain of Christ so we can identify with Christ. We can connect with Christ because we're going through pain. It perfects us, makes us more like Christ when we go through times of suffering. But number five, when we go through times of suffering, we should be joyful because we are experiencing God's passion for those who don't know Christ. Let me explain. In verses 17 and 18, it says that the outcome will be for those who cause this persecution, who do not obey the gospel. What is that outcome? It is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Here's the point that Peter is making. We may suffer as followers of Christ, and it should not surprise us. But we must remember that the suffering we now experience is not as bad as the suffering those who reject Christ will one day experience. Now, this it just crushes my heart to think about this. I don't want anyone to suffer for eternity, being in constant pain without the ability to be relieved by Christ. Other great men had felt the same way. Here's just two examples. Paul said this, and he's writing to the Roman believers. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He said, I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul is looking out and he's looking at those who are persecuting him. And he says, I wish I could be a curse from Christ. I could be cut off from Christ so that you would receive Christ. Now, this is a bold, audacious prayer. But when we experience suffering, we experience God's passion toward those who don't know Christ. Paul wasn't the only one who, who made such a bold and audacious statement. Moses said this, 
Exodus chapter 32. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book, which you have written. The Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of the land's book of life. What is Moses asking? Moses is looking out at his people and says, God, would you please forgive them of their sin? God says, no, I can't do that. They're going to have to pay for their own sins. Well, there's one final point we've got to cover in the last few minutes of the broadcast. As we go through times of persecution, it builds our persistence. Peter says that those who suffer according to God will commit themselves to the faithful creator and will continue to do good. Will continue to do good. The entry of Christopher Columbus's journal on October the 10th, 1492 stated, Here the people could stand it no longer and complained of the long voyage, but the admiral cheered them on. He was doing the best he could to hold out hope, looking at the advantage of hope providing them. He added that it was useless for us to complain. He had come to the Indies and so had continued on until he would find them with the help of the Lord. And they prayed and God sustained them. Two days later, they discovered America. When you think about suffering in your life, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know it produces steadfastness and steadfastness will have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We would love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.